The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is your first time here. We've been working through Mark. We've watched Jesus say and do wonderful things. We've watched uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, come at him and time and time again. We've watched him love his best friends, wash their feet, feed them supper, and tell them that even when they walk away from him, he will love them still. And now we come to this dark hour, this dark hour where the only righteous one is marched off like a criminal in the night without any real jurisprudence, he's condemned to death. We're going to look tonight, we're going to look this afternoon at that before we dive in, a couple of quotes. Hudson Taylor said, God chose me. Because when I was weak enough, excuse me, 
God chose me because I was weak enough. He trained somebody to be quiet enough, little enough, and then he uses him. And Tozer said this, God has to wound a man before he uses that man. This is a brutal picture for Peter. Judas has already disappeared into the night at home counting his money. And now the ten have fled into the darkness. And now Jesus' best friend, his truest friend, is going to turn his walk, turn and walk away. And yet Jesus goes anyway. Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us now? We need you. Rush into this room by your Spirit. There are those who can barely lift their head. They're so ashamed of themselves. And there are those in this room who are bearing such burdens, such suffering, such difficulty, that they're about to give up. And yet you say you feed your people by your word, that the Holy Spirit works powerfully through the sermon and the sacrament. And so we're begging you to heal your people. Encourage them, lift their heads, remind them who they are, remind them who you are. God, we need your help. Please bless us. Speak powerfully this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When I was at college, Aaron and I were in a car headed out to go get ice cream on the highway north on 75. We got into a seven-car pileup. It was terrifying. We got hit once, and then I was afraid that we were going to continue to get hit because I knew that we were on the highway. So I told Erin, if she would, to get out very quick and run and go stand on the hill, go stand in the grass. And so she opened the door, and she thought, I don't know if it's safe for me to get out yet, and closed the door. And as she closed the door, we got hit again. Seven cars, emergency lights, took all night. Well, months and months later, there began depositions and trials about who is to blame for this accident, and we were frustrated. I had to go to Nashville to give a deposition. We had to take all these insurance adjusters' phone calls. And so I go up to Nashville to give this deposition, thinking I'm there, I'm going to give my little bit, and then it'll be over, meaning I'm going to testify about someone else and their problem. And as soon as it started, the, to the tone changed. The lawyers from the other side, I thought I was there to give testimony against the other side, and I realized I was there making an account for myself. I think I'm after them, and really I was there, and they were after me. For $500,000 when I was 21 years old. Things change when you think you're there to give testimony about someone else, and really they're there to give testimony about you. That's the picture that we have in this kangaroo court trial of Jesus. They think they are there to sum up, to bring charges, to bring charges against Jesus. Four different charges they're going to try and work at him. They think they're giving testimony against him as if he's the one on the dock. And we'll see by the end of the text that Jesus stands before them and says, You're not here to judge me. I am here to judge you. All this, and we also see Peter's failure. 
Well, let's walk through this text together. Let's see what is to learn about putting Jesus on the dock. Let's see what is to learn about Peter's great failures. First of all, the Sanhedrin. It's a mock court in this moment because they disregard the rule of law. Verse 53, look with me, please. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. Now remember, they don't have a group text. How did all of the chief priests and scribes know to go there past midnight? How did they know? And Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And now he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. You see, they already tell you why they're there. Before the trial will even take place, they're there to kill him. It doesn't seem like they're following the rules. All the people that Jesus had been battling in Mark 13 show up after midnight at the chief priest's house miraculously. Now the Sanhedrin was the highest court of all the Jews. There's 70 people in the Sanhedrin. One of the commentators says this, Sanhedrin wasn't supposed to issue final judgments at night. The Sanhedrin is not supposed to meet outside their official chambers in the temple. The Sanhedrin was not to give a capital offense determined during Passover, and the Sanhedrin needs two unanimous testimonies in order to go forward with a trial. His point is they're not even playing by their own rules. They're putting Jesus on trial, and the text explicitly says they can't get it. Look, seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many false witnesses against him, but in their testimony, they did not agree. And then down in 59, yet even about their testimony, they did not agree. They know what they want before the trial starts. They're not playing by their own set-up rules, and they can't even bribe people well enough, get them aligned enough to bring official charges against Jesus. They're seeking testimony, but found none. Now it is easy for you and me to look at this group of people and to say they are bringing charges against Jesus, how terrible they must be, how awful. And sure, there's some of that in there, but I think people are constantly seeking to put Jesus on trial, seeking testimony about Jesus to discredit him. It's constantly happening, not just that night, but even now. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a moral teacher. Jesus is a set of ideas. I think we should do well to take this as a warning. Careful testifying about Jesus, these innocuously safe, worldly things about him. We're constantly making judgments about Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this in God of the Dock. It's a collection of essays. It's a little bit of an older quote, but I want you to listen to it and think about how old it must be, the quote, and how applicable it is for today. Listen. The greatest barrier I have met is almost total absence from the minds of my audience any sense of sin. The early Christian preachers could assume in their hearers, whether Jews or pagans, a sense of guilt. This was common. That's why the Christian message was in those days unmistakably good news. It promised healing to those who knew they were sick. Listen to Lewis. 
We have to convince our hearers of the unwelcome diagnosis before we can expect them to welcome the news of the remedy. The ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. The modern man is the judge and God is in the dock. And the modern man is a quite kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war or poverty or disease, the modern man is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that the man is on the bench and God is in the dock. We can laugh at these group of men who are putting God on the dock, but we do the same thing. What are the ways in which you have put God in the dock as if God has to answer to you or to me? God, I don't like what you have to say about sex. I don't like what you have to say about premarital sex. I don't like what you have to say about pornographic sex. I don't like what you have to say about same-sex attraction. I don't like what to hear what you have to say about heterosexual sex. I don't like what you have to say about sex, God. It's modern times. You look at me and make an account for yourself. I don't like what you have to say about money, God. We barely have enough for ourselves, and you keep calling us to give it away and live sacrificially and give it away and seek the help of those who aren't one of my own. I don't like what you have to say about money. God, I don't like what you have to say about hell. It's too intense. It's too much fire and brimstone. Why can't we all just leave and be happy? God, I don't like what you have to say. You make an answer to me, God. God, I don't like that you only have one way to heaven, this exclusivity thing. It's the worst part about your faith. You, you admit, God, that there's more than one way to heaven, and maybe then we'll let you off the dock. Answer me, God. You hear how we do it? And not just in these big, dramatic ways that happen in your heart, too. God, I don't like what you have to say about my story. I don't like the sufferings that you've left me in. God, I don't like the position that I'm in right now. God, I don't like that I have to struggle with depression and anxiety. I don't like that it's harder for me than it is for other people. You answer to me, God. You hear how we do it? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they're all going after Jesus because they've decided on their terms that they're right and he's wrong. And friends, there's an element in which each one of us lives our life on the sure assurance that we're right and he's wrong. Lewis was right a long time ago. We put God on the dock. In what ways in your life have you said, God, you answer to me? And said, God, I answer to you. Well, let's look at these charges that they put before him. Tom Wright says there's four different charges they put before him. First of all is a false prophet. A false prophet. Now, I want you to get the irony, of course. He has foretold this very moment earlier that night down to a second rooster crow. Not a first rooster crow, but a second rooster crow. And they are accusing him of not being a real prophet. They also say that he's trying to be an insurrectionist. In other words, when he says he's going to tear down the temple, they're aghast. Oh, how can he say that? That's so violent. That's so intense. Who's it? It's not his temple to tear down. And so it was his actions in the temple of clearing out the temple, the reason that they're here now. So he's a false prophet. He's an insurrectionist. And then treason. This is really, really where they get him. You see, you can claim to be a messiah, 
people wouldn't have to listen to you. They'd think you're crazy. But if you got it to Rome that there was someone claiming to be a king, put all the religious stuff aside, they knew Rome would roll in and say, you can't talk like that. We're the kingdom, not you. And then they accuse him of blasphemy. They accuse him of blasphemy, meaning they can get him in trouble with Rome by him calling himself a king, and they can get him in trouble with Israel and the Jews by calling himself God. And their testimony does not agree. The charges they're bringing against him does not agree. And he's winning. I know it's subtle in the text, but listen, he's winning. Let's read it again. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We all heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this testimony, they did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. We're supposed to assume that hours of this, this testimony is going on and people shouting and yelling and agreeing. And Jesus is quiet and he's silent. He's winning. The reason that he's silent is basically one of the things he's doing is just showing that they haven't even brought in an official charge against him because you can't bring an official charge unless you can get two witnesses to agree. That's what the text is focusing on. Kent Hughes says it like this. He's, or sorry, Ferguson says this. He's emphasizing that they have yet to bring a real charge. He is silent to them because he's proving to them they don't have a case. But that's not all, only why he's silent. He's also silent because he's embodying the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. It says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like a, one who is a sheep who is silent before his shears. He did not open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. He is embodying the su suffering servant. And you've seen in courtroom shows, I don't know about you, but I love courtroom shows, courtroom movies. It brings an intensity to situations. It's high drama. And you see in courtroom shows, I thought of like four this week, I won't take you through them all, that that moment where the, the lawyer is trying to decide whether or not he should go through with it, he should go through with his big statement, his good argument. The lawyer is wondering whether or not he's reading the judge, he's reading the other side, he's reading the jury, he's trying to wonder, am I winning? And here Jesus is in this ridiculous kangaroo court and he's silent showing them that they haven't made a real charge and he's silent because he's embodying the suffering, see, suffering servant. Can't you just see Peter in the shadows? He's, he's ashamed that he's not standing with Jesus, but he's thinking, Jesus, you're winning. It's been hours now and there's, not, there's nothing against you. There's no, no one's made anything that will stick. Jesus, please, please just don't answer. Jesus, just stay silent. Jesus, just change the subject. Jesus, keep quiet. You're almost through this. And the high priest asked him again, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? Alistair Begg said this, what further witnesses? You don't have any witnesses yet. And Jesus seals his own fate. He seals his own fate. He says, I am, ego e me. The other time we've heard ego e me is way back in the Old Testament when Moses is going to come before God and God is going to say to Moses, you go and set my people free. And Moses says, I'm scared. Who shall I tell him sending me to Pharaoh and saying, set my people free? And he says, ego e me. I am. I am the God of eternity. I am the all power for the almighty. I am who I am. And now Jesus here in these moments, he could keep quiet and maybe the trial would continue to fall apart. He stands there and says, I am, ego e me. It's God again coming to rescue his people. Just as Moses is sent to rescue the, the people of God from the Egyptians, Jesus here has come as the rescuer. Except instead of a lamb being killed that night, it'll be him killed in the darkness of the night. And then not only that, Jesus stands and takes the accusations that are fit for you and me. He takes them. And then he doubles down. He says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. It's a combination of Daniel 7 and Psalm 110. Imagine sitting before the 70. They're judging him. And he looks up and says, I am. And you too well will be judged. Kent Hughes says it's a, both a confession and a terrible warning. You are judging me, he says, but I will judge you. Now remember, he's been keeping all of this a secret. He'd heal somebody, hey, don't tell anybody. He'd heal somebody else, hey, that's fine, don't tell anybody. And here, finally, the divine secret time is over. And he tells them who he is. I am the son of man. I am the one who will appear before the ancient of days with my rescued people. And I will be brought glory. And everyone, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, I am. And now I'm going to go ahead of you. I'm going to go to death. I'm going to go to death for my people. Tom Wright says it this way. Yes, I'm a true prophet. This is, Tom Wright is summing up Jesus' response. Yes, I'm a true prophet. Yes, what I said about the temple will come true. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, you will see me vindicated. And my vindication will mean that I share the very throne of Israel's God. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? They've got him. They've got him because he wanted to be taken. Guilty is the verdict. Death is the sentence. Cruelty is the appetizer. Look with me in 65. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Prophesy. And they punch him. Who hit you? It's cruelty. Cruelty. To spit at the Son of Man, to blindfold him, to spit on him again, and then to mock him. 
the Sanhedrin hits him, and they know they've got him. Pilate will have to kill him for claiming the throne, and the Jewish people will want him dead for the false prophecy and the blasphemy. They put Jesus on trial. What are the ways in which you put Jesus on trial? And we see this incredible collapse of Peter. Incredible collapse of Peter. Look with me in the text. In 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed, and the servant's girl saw him. And he began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Excuse me, I lost my place. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Do you see it? Ten of them have already disappeared. One of them has already betrayed him. And there Peter, his best friend, his last hope, is standing there. And a little girl walks up to him and says, You're one of them. And Peter collapses. Well, he was brave at first. Remember, the other guys are hiding in the dark. But Jesus tells the truth and he dies. And Peter lies and he gets to live. The whole thing just puts the courage of Jesus and the cowardice of Peter right together. Think about this. Peter is telling John Mark the story. John Mark is the author. Whoa. That was scary. Peter is telling John Mark this story. We think we know the gospel of John Mark because it was Peter who walked him through that story. And Peter's telling him, and he comes to this point in the story and he's like, oh man. Yeah, John Mark, that's when I, that's when I denied him for the first time. And John Mark's like, it's fine. It's probably terrifying. It was like a centurion with a sword, right? Nah, man, it was a little girl. It was a little girl that said it the first time. You see? Peter tells the story honestly. And John Mark's really turning the screws here in verse 69. It says this, And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, but again he denied it. Sorry. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed the first time. That was the opportunity. That was the chance for Peter to turn things around. He should have heard the first crow and said, oh no, that thing that Jesus told me earlier this night it's coming, it's happening. And he should have right then said, I'm Peter, I'm Simon. I'm with Jesus. Even if I have to die, I will not fall away. The first crow of the rooster was his chance, and no. He denies him to the bystanders, and then he denies him to everybody. John Mark doesn't record this, but Luke does. Listen to this moment. Just picture this in your mind's eye. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. You know, they were in a courtyard. 
You have earlier that night said, emphatically insisted, even if I have to die, even if all of these other fellows fall away, I won't fall away. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you will fall away. And in fact, you'll deny me three times before the end of the night. And Peter said, never, I will never fall away. And then one time, two times, three times, and he hears the rooster crow, and you can just imagine he's starting to sink, and he looks up, and Jesus, his king and his best friend, is staring at him. Yeah, he wept bitterly. It's the failure of all failures. The reason I show you this is because Peter is supposed to give us hope. Remember where it all started? Jesus calls Peter on a boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. This Bible's getting in my way. I don't have enough room back here. Let me start again. Look, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water. And when he let down the nets for a catch, Simon answered, said, Master, this is their first time. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done that, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled the fish filled with both boats so full that they were began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And then here we find him in the garden saying, I don't know who that is. It's easy to look at the Sanhedrin and say, we don't put Jesus on trial, even though you know in our hearts we do. It's easy to look at Peter and say, we wouldn't fail like that, but we've denied him too. I've denied him. We've left him in our hearts. We've left him in our heads. We've left him with our hands. We've left him as we neglect the poor and the orphan and the widow. We've left him when we neglect to speak up for the oppressed. We've left him when we choose the ways of this world over him. We too are like Peter. And Jesus goes ahead with it anyway. But why does he let Peter fall this far? So that he can use him. God has to wound a man before he can use a man. And as we started at the beginning, I'll remind you of our quote. Hudson Taylor said, God chose me because I was weak enough. He trains somebody to be quiet enough, little enough, and then uses him. 2 Corinthians 12, most of the commentators used. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The question for you is, are you weak enough for Jesus to use you? Or are you still trying to be strong? There are weeks when it is harder than others to come up here before you and proclaim the mysteries, to, to declare the glorious mysteries of God, to tell you about the, the gloriousness of the gospel. And I, there are weeks I don't want to do it because my weaknesses are so palpable to me. My sin is glaring and ugly and heinous. And I think I'm so weak, I don't want to be used by God. And he calls me to come up here anyway because he says it's through 
yours and everyone else's weakness that my power shows up? What are the things in your life, the weaknesses that you're hiding? Those are the very things that God shows his power in. That will transform a community. When people can come to a place and be honest about their weakness, and not only be honest about their weakness, but expect that in that weakness, the power is going to explode with life. He lets Peter fall this far because soon Peter will be preaching in front of 3,000 and they'll all come to faith. Soon Peter will help Paul to become an official apostle. He's got big plans for Peter. One of the things I thought about this week, imagining running into Peter in heaven. We all make fun of Peter all the time when you're studying the Bible. It's like, yeah, you're one of us. You can make fun of Peter now. And you know what? When we finally get to see Peter in heaven, he's going to have the biggest smile on his face. Because he got to teach us that it's for failures and through failures that God moves. But now Jesus... This is the last one. We've seen the judgments they've made against Jesus. We've seen Peter's total collapse and how it's hope for failures like you and like me. But then you see Jesus and no one is there left for him now. Judas took off and is counting his money. The ten fled into the dark. And now his best of friends says, I swear to you, I don't know the man. And Jesus goes to the cross alone. The loneliness is just enough to break you. No one's left. Remember, they had crowds and crowds of people, far as the eye can see. Hosanna, Hosanna is the one. Blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord. And that crowd quickly goes from thousands to 12, and from 12 to 11, and from 11 to 1, and one left, and now he denies him. And Jesus goes it alone. Later, Peter will write, this is how we know Peter could overhear the trial. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2.23, When they hurled in, in their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the judge who judges justly. He said, I'm doing this for my father and I'm doing this for my people. I will not retaliate. I will go it alone. Friends, What are the accusations that you make about God or his Bible or his son or his spirit? As if we're the judge and God is in the box. Wouldn't you rather entrust yourself to the judge who judges justly? And friends, I know you keep telling yourself, God could never use me. I'm a mess. I can barely hold it together. I can barely put one foot in front of the other. I, I keep making mistakes. I keep messing up. I'm a fool. That's exactly who God uses to advance his kingdom. You can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, the one who makes no threats, to the one who just, judges justly. Jesus goes it alone, and he goes it alone for you. Let's pray.
Lord, by the kindness, by your kindness, would you rush into the room with your Holy Spirit and welcome home sons and daughters who've never known you? Would you tell them they're safe with you? That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That those who are hidden in Christ with God are safe. For those of us who just needed to be reminded of it, we ask that the Holy Spirit would rush into the room and remind us. Remind us to humble ourselves before the judge who judges justly. Remind us that you can use failures like Peter and failures like me. Father, don't let this moment go to waste. Because it's what you want by your Holy Spirit. Please move powerfully even in these next few minutes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Like me. Father, don't let this moment go to waste. Because it's what you want by your Holy Spirit. Please move powerfully even in these next few minutes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.